Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And we'll begin in verse 31 and go through verse 37. That's Mark 7, 31 through 37. In your pew Bible, you can find it on page 1002. If you are new or visiting with us and you don't own your own Bible, uh, that is our gift to you. We want you to have that Bible, take it home with you. We believe in the power of the Word of God and want you to have it at your fingertips. Again, our scripture today is Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. And there it's written. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephatha. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please pray with me. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been journeying through Mark since the beginning of the year, and we'll keep journeying through him. And and as Jesus goes through his ministry, uh, uh, we come across healings and miracles. And oftentimes they can seem like an interruption to Jesus's momentum of getting from one place to another. But what the real interruption in our life is that uh, we need healings and miracles. See, before, before the fall occurred... Before the sin of Adam and Eve, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no pain, there was no suffering. And so that all came as a result of the fall. And so really, those are the interruptions in our lives, not that Jesus is tending to them. But in my sermon preparation, I just wanted to skip over this scripture altogether for for very personal reasons. So, so if you don't know me, I, I'm Nathan Lowen. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, my wife and I have three uh, beautiful, healthy children together. We have Avonlea, who uh, might be the smartest person I've ever met. Um, and she's just an incredible human being. And she's going into sixth grade. I have, uh, and then we have two sons, Ellis and, and Davis. And they're 14 months apart. Uh, not on purpose, uh, but by God's will, and and so, but they're both completely different individuals. When we moved here five and a half years ago, Ellis was about seven months old, and we were pregnant with Davis. Now I want to skip over this scripture because I really, I really don't like it because Jesus did something for this man that I've been praying that he would do for my own son. When we moved here seven, uh, five and a half years ago, at seven months old, he had already had a couple ear infections. And this is Ellis. He's the middle child or the oldest son. 
He'd already had a couple of ear infections, so now was the time we go to the ENT and start having conversations about ear tubes. Because when children have ear infections, ear tubes are the solution so that it will just drain out the infection and, and quit, quit building up. Well, whatever was going on with Ellis has led to him having 13 sets of ear tubes since that time to date. Now, also during that time, the infections continued. They, in fact, they never ceased. Uh, we sought prayer from elders here in the church. They laid hands on him. You guys, as a congregation, he was on the prayer list for years and years. And around age three, it got to the point where the doctor sent him off to get a CT scan and found out that he had mastoiditis behind his left ear. So the infection had really begun getting into the bone. And so we had two mastoidectomies and both brought with them three months of IV antibiotics at home three times a day, uh, and, and it was something else. He doesn't know any better about it. He just thought he got to wear one of the cool arm sleeves that the baseball players get to wear, and he called it a superhero arm. Uh, that's, that's really how we made it through because he was always there to give a thumbs up and a smile and, and really paid no mind to what was going on. In fact, I think his mother and I suffered more than, than he did, mainly because he was unaware of it not being normal. But then in 2019, at the end of 2019, right before Christmas, um, we're at the doctor again, things aren't working, and, and we find out that he actually has um, significant hearing loss in his left ear and is deaf in that ear. And, and we weren't devastated. We were finally relieved. We knew this to be the case because there was issues with his speech and his schooling, and, and we were just praying for a solution there. Uh, now, God didn't heal him of his deafness in the way he healed this man, uh, but Cochlear, by God's grace, designs a bone-anchored hearing aid that he now wears to this day, and so uh, he can hear perfectly thanks to technology, and, and so it's, that's in a miracle of itself, yet he still suffers from that deafness when he doesn't wear it. Now, I tell you that story because I want to tell you the story of Davis. Davis is our youngest. Um, he's a perfectly healthy individual and, and, a, and a lovely child, a bit impish um, in, in his motives. But, but Davis, when we're pregnant with Davis, I say we like I was pregnant with Davis, Right. So so when Ashley was pregnant with Davis and we go to one of the doctor's visits and we have the sonogram and they say, well, you need to go to a special sonogram place now. Wouldn't really tell us what's going on. But my wife, being a nurse practitioner, understood that this was something major. And so we go to the sonogram specialist and then we begin having the conversations about genetic disorders. And we ran tests after tests. Um, to find out what it was. They're all coming back negative. Can't figure out why Davis has such a, a large head and such tiny length of bones in his legs and his arms. It wasn't adding up and for, for the doctors. And so much so, Davis is finally born. Nothing has ever been determined. The pediatrician on call at the hospital takes me and Davis down to the x-ray room. And, and this newborn child uh, I'm having to hold down and get x-rays so that we could accurately measure how long his, his leg bones and his arm bones actually were. Now, when Davis was born, he was born 17 inches long. After I leave the x-ray room, my wife isn't back in our room yet because it was a C-section, and I'm holding Davis, and, and 
it's nothing short of the Lord telling me to go to him in prayer. So I go to the Lord in prayer, and, and I can't tell you why I prayed this, but I prayed for stretch bones. I've never prayed for stretch bones in the past, and I haven't prayed for them since. But in that moment, I was led to pray that God would stretch his bones. So we're released from the hospital. We go to our first pediatrician's visit. Davis, who was born 17 inches, is now 19 inches at the pediatrician's office two days later. But everything has been such a, a big ordeal with him. We have an appointment two weeks out with the pediatric genetic specialist because everyone believes there's something wrong with Davis. And we go to the pediatric genetic specialist office, and Davis is 21 and a half inches long. Now, I don't know if you know this about newborns, they don't grow four and a half inches in two weeks. That's abnormal. Uh, the genetic, uh, the pedi pediatric genetic specialist was amazed and he said, there's nothing wrong with this kid. I want you to come back in six months just so I can tell you again, there's nothing wrong with this kid. I don't know why all of the measurements were off. And I told him, I know I have an answer if he would like to hear it. And he, he said, I'm, I'm good, but you can go ahead and go. And so when we come across Jesus in these miracles and we see Jesus healing people's, people in ways that we ourselves desire to be healed or desire our loved ones to be healed, and we pray for that healing, yet it doesn't always happen. The healing we so desire doesn't happen. So we're left with the question, why are some people healed and others aren't? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is that whether healed or not healed, God does, in fact, love you. That, that the status of your healing has no implication on whether or not God loves you. And in fact, he loves you and he sent his son for you to live and die and be resurrected so that we would be reconciled to God and be with him forever. So we could enjoy the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem as a new creation. But we know God does heal. We see it happen in scripture over and over and over again in all different manners in different ways. And because God does heal, we're tempted. We can be tempted to fall into the trap that he must heal. That God must heal. And when we fall into that trap, we make we turn God into our magic genie to just simply answer the requests as we put before him. The truth is God can heal and still heals to this day, but we must never presume that he must. So that leaves us, if God can heal, and he heals who he wants, then why pray about it? 
Why be so concerned as, as this deaf man's friends were bringing him to Jesus? Why be so concerned to lift others up in prayer if God's going to do what he wants? So should we pray? Simple answer is yes. Yes, because Jesus told us to. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told us to always pray and to never lose heart. Often easier said than done. But Paul also reminds us in his writing that in everything by prayer, let your request be known to God. And in another letter that we ought to pray continuously for our brothers and sisters. See, the fact remains, we want healings. We desire miracles in our lives because we perceive that to be our best good, our greatest good. Yet God says in Isaiah 55 verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And man, that is frustrating. I don't know how you feel about it, but there is not a day that goes by that I don't want God to think and act the way in which I want him to. I don't know if your life would be better, but I know mine would certainly be easier. But he says that isn't how it works. And then the other truth of Scripture is this, that throughout Scripture in the Old and the New Testament, it points us to suffering. Consistently and constantly, the people of God are led into suffering and through suffering to meet suffering again. Yet through it all, God is with them. Now, suffering, I believe, is just a fancy word to describe pain. Either physical or emotional or mental or spiritual or a combination or all of them together. That is suffering. God's always present with those who suffer. He's there with them. In fact, the scripture also points out that God is shown to engage suffering for good. We hear it no louder than when Joseph himself, going through all he went through, being thrown into a pit, being sold into Egypt, going all the way and rising up to being one of Pharaoh's right-hand man to say himself for what you meant for evil, God used for good. He was talking about the suffering he went through his entire life. But good? What good? What good is pain? What, what good does it do me? Pain is the absolute Worse, and as human beings, to our very core, we will do everything at all costs to avoid all pain. We don't like it. 
We don't enjoy it. We don't want to go through it. And so we will find the easiest, least painful way to go through life. Because we don't want to be in pain. We don't want to be in suffering. And when I say at all costs, I don't just mean it figuratively. I mean it literally. We will do whatever it takes. And there's all sorts of methods, holistic, naturalistic, uh, medicinal, religious, essential oils, whatever your choice of dealing with pain, emotional and physical and mental is. We all look for ways to get rid of it out of our lives. Because we don't like pain and suffering. We don't like it one bit. And so because we don't like it and we want to avoid it, and we want those that we love to avoid pain, we can assume, or we often assume, that it means God isn't happy with us, or he doesn't love us like he used to, that we did something wrong to deserve this pain, to deserve this suffering. Yet we can still look at Paul when he writes his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12, and he tells of this thorn that's in his flesh and his side, and he says that he prayed to God three times that he would remove it, and the Lord spoke to him and said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect In weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. We don't often believe that though. We think it's nice to have. God tells Paul and he tells us that his grace is sufficient. We could lose everything else in this world. We could lose all of the health we have. We could lose all of the resources we have. We could lose everything that we think actually matters or that we've accumulated to ourselves. But as long as we still hold on to the grace of the Lord through Jesus Christ, we have all we've ever needed. Sometimes he reminds us of that. And so we journey and we see Jesus doing these healings and these miracles. And it's easy for me right now to stand up here and preach this to you and and say, whatever pain it is you're going through, just know it's not because God doesn't love you, but in fact, he does love you. He is there with you. He's never left you nor forsaken you. The pain you are going through cannot separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. But it's hard to live it. It's hard to do what Jesus told us, to pray continuously and not lose heart because we so desperately want God's ways to be our ways and his thoughts to be our thoughts. But we're here today. We come in our suffering and in our pain because the gospel itself offers a hope 
that far exceeds in only bodily repairs or worldly healing we could receive. For Christ has overcome the grave. Because of him, because of his resurrection, death has lost its sting. That means this life is not the final word. But God holds on to it. In fact, I want to read to you what Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we hope in the one who saved us. And we hear his words again that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So keep praying. Keep praying for healing for yourself, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, for your family, for your friends. But also pray for strength. Pray for clarity. Pray for that endurance Paul speaks of. And pray that our eyes would look up to heaven just as Jesus' did. Amen.